3: A quick reminder, we record the podcast on Sunday mornings, and then we release it on Tuesdays because it takes time to edit. Normally that's fine, uh, but this time around we had multiple things we've talked about move in the media cycle, so we encourage you to look up all the writing that people have done about the WNBA fight on Saturday to look at Liz Cambage's piece that she released on Sunday late morning, I believe, at the Players' Tribune about her struggles with mental health and we wanted to let you know that on monday that the ncaa amended its rich paul rule which we will hear lindsay burn in the burn pile all right let's get into it up, out, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. welcome to burn it all down the feminist sports podcast you need i'm jessica luther Freelance journalist and author in Austin, Texas. And on today's show, I'm joined by Lindsay Gibbs, a reporter at Think Progress in Washington, DC, Brenda Elsie, an associate professor of history at Hofstra on Long Island, and Amira Rose Davis, an assistant professor of history and African American Studies at Penn State University. Shireen is out this week because today is id. And while we know you all will not hear this until Tuesday, in Mubarak to everyone who's celebrated. First things first, as always, thank you to our patrons whose support of this podcast through our ongoing Patreon campaign, Make Burn It All Down, possible. If you would like to become a patron, it's easy. Go to patreon.com burnitalldown. For as little as $2 per month, you can access an exclusive extra Patreon-only segment every month, or for a bit more, a monthly behind-the-scenes vlog, a chance at giveaways, or even to be a part of the show. Also, we want to remind you all that Burn It All Down will be live in Nashville in about a month. You can see us on Monday, September 9th at 10 a.m. at the Music City Center as part of the SHIFT Conference, which is being put on by the YWCA of Nashville and Middle Tennessee. On today's show, we're going to talk once more about mental health in sports after a big announcement this week from the NBA. Lindsay interviews former Notre Dame and WNBA star Devereaux Peters about the launch of her new production company, More Than 94, and how to improve the media coverage of the WNBA. And then we will talk about cheating in sports in honor of one of the biggest cheats in sports ever, Rosie Ruiz, who passed away this week. And of course, we'll cap off today's show by burning things that deserve to be burned, doing shout outs to women who deserve shout outs, and telling you what is good in our worlds. But first, before we get into all of that, there was a fight last night, Saturday night in the WNBA. Lindsay, what happened? What happened?
1: Okay, so last night in the game between the Dallas Wings and the Phoenix Mercury that was taking place on West Coast time. So it, this was all happening past uh, midnight (laughs) Eastern time. Brittany Griner and Christina Nigwe. Christina Nigwe is a freshman who played at Cal. I mean, a rookie. Sorry, she's a rookie. That's, how, that's what you call when you're professional. <laughs> she's a rookie in the WNBA who w- played at Cal. She actually was just traded from Connecticut, the Connecticut Sun, to the Dallas Wings because she wanted more playing time, and she
4: got it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not just because she wanted more playing time. But anyways, so she's tussling with Brittany Griner in the post in this game and she punches Brittany Griner and Brittany Griner is going to fight back and Christina Nguye runs i have never seen anyone run like this (laughs) like she like sprints (laughs) away from (laughs) griner on the court i was joking with our co-host beforehand that it reminded me of me running away from all of my bad decisions so anyways (laughs) where we are right now is this just happened there was there were five ejections in the game you know i'm sure we were going to see some suspensions This is going to get a lot of attention. There's going to be a lot of hand-wringing over how much attention this gets because people are going to say, why don't we highlight the good stuff that happens and not the bad stuff? But I would like to think that here at Burn It All Down, there's room for both. (laughs) And, (laughs) And honestly, this was entertaining, and this is going to get attention, and this should get attention. That doesn't mean that the WNBA shouldn't get more attention for other things as well. But I don't know, I'm not going to be one of the ones hand wringing over this. How do you all feel?
3: Yeah, I think it was funny (laughs) to me, I get the press releases from the Dallas Wings. And so their press release came in last night, about they won their first road game in like 18 games or something like it goes back to last year, like they haven't won a road game in forever. And they don't mention this at all. Like there's like a literal <laughs> write-up of like what happens during the game and then all of a sudden they come back from being down and they win the game and it's a big deal but they don't mention anything. They don't even mention the ejections in the press release which I think is hilarious. Amira, did you see this? <laughs>
0: yeah I did, and I was not opposed to fights, but I definitely think that they're sensationalized a bit when That's there's true. women yes. involved, like you know the the kind of old adage that like when the w n b a makes sports center, it's when there's a fight, but yeah, no, for me, the biggest thing was, A, what Lindsay already said, she how fast just, <laughs> we were running, she it, to could, be fair. She could like, run, like, Anigua got
3: speed.
0: Right, and also, yeah. like, I would also run from Britney, so, yeah. like, you know, I get yeah. it, I get it, but for me, the biggest thing I was side I, was that I felt like by the end of it, like, everybody was off the <laughs> like, everybody was holding somebody and whatnot, so there's, you know, in addition to Britney, there was five other people, ejected. And, you know, three of those for me, I was just like, meh. Like, you could have really, like, I felt like it was getting a little, like, I feel like that was definitely an effort to get control of it. But I feel like at that point, just like, you need to either send everybody off or just be, like, very clear, like, this is, this was between the two of them and this is somebody else who escalated it. But really, like, I don't think, I, it wasn't, like, the craziest no, brawl I've because ever. Because she ran. Um,
3: but, you know. <laughs> 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 <a rant. Exactly. laughs> it was a lot of just holding Br- uh, Brittany be- Griner back. Brenda, did you right. catch it?
4: I'd, I just, no, I, after the fact. I mean, I've seen it by now because it made the rounds on social media and, and from you all. But um, I just remember in 2008 with the Shock Spark brawl which was supposedly the first one in WNBA history there were legions of articles about how that brawl was going to set the WNBA on a path of success
3: oh you know? for real yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, and and so you know huh. yeah I, I mean I can we can post them in the show notes there was like a lot and <laughs> and like it just I don't know. It is like sensationalized when it's women and black bodies as spectacle. the whole thing. But it also is just, it's kind of fun to watch. Well, like, when you're looking <laughs> at that. I mean, yeah. like the thing is like, it was men's fights get
1: a lot of attention too you know they're not i don't there 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 is a difference in how it's sensationalized, but like you know one of the things I actually was looking really into that two thousand and eight uh, shock sparks fight last year around the tenth anniversary and you know, one of the things was like, yes, it is sensationalized, but also like everyone's heard of the Malice of the Palace, like the NBA fight, you know, from Detroit. But this was also the Malice in the Palace. And honestly, like I hadn't heard of it. So it, it brings up interesting conversations. And the reason why I am like not against talking about it is because I think sometimes people in programs shy away from, you know, th- there's a lot of people within the women's sports community who only want the positive highlighted, you know, and want none of the negative. And to me, this is part of sports. This is part of athletics, but I want to be clear, of course, I am also I realize the reason why this irks people is because you don't get in the morning shows talking about the WNBA championship, you know, and it needs to be equal, more equal. So I, and also There's going to be a lot of sexism and racism thrown in and homophobia thrown in um, to this conversation, I'm sure. And, you know, next, probably by the time you're all listening to this, that conversation will, you know, be raging and we will, of course, follow up. We are in the, it's not even been 12 hours since this fight right now. It's us. So, yeah.
3: All right. Amira, want to get us started on talking about mental health?
0: Certainly. So yeah, we as just noted, we've had this conversation before, and this is a good time to revisit it um, on the heels of an NBA announcement this week, um, announcing an expanded set of mental health policies for the upcoming season. Um, these policies include the fact that all teams must have at least one mental health professional on retainer. Um that professional has to have experience um in both assessment as well as like actual treatment of clinical mental health issues. So it can't just be like some Joe off the street. Additionally, each team has to identify a licensed psychiatrist um, who will be on hand to also help with the management of any mental health issues. And there also needs to be written action plans for mental health emergencies. And all teams need to attend a health and wellness meeting that will happen in Chicago in September. Now, this policy comes on after a year in which many NBA players, uh, including Kevin Love, you know, wrote op-eds in the Players Tribune, gave interviews, talked very candidly about their mental health struggles. If you remember back in February, Commissioner Adam Silver discussed this actually at meetings when he, he talked about the need and the desire of players to have more robust mental health offerings. Um, and so I think that this is a very significant, on one hand, this is a very significant program. It reveals a commitment to mental health um, and an expansive kind of coverage of it and actually a step in taking this seriously. And I think that if you also look at another thing that happened um, over the past week where Brian Dawkins, former safety on the Philadelphia Eagles, basically was part of this huge summit do a, a part of this network called stay in the game which was exploring not only mental health awareness in sports but sports role in preventing in promoting and helping mental wellness and it had representatives from the nba from the nfl from um, baseball hockey from mls and u.s uh swimming and and boxing actually and it was a uh by what i've read a a really good summit that talked about battling depression bat, um, battling suicide um and the way that both sports can improve on providing those resources to athletes but also how sports can be a space in which you help your mental health. And so I think that both of those things together demonstrate perhaps a new space uh, in which we can talk about mental health in sports. But the other side of this, as you heard me name all of the representatives at that summit, uh, you might have noticed a decided lack of uh, women's athletic organizations involved and i think that that kind of goes back to this nba announcement where you actually have um you know wnba players commenting and just you know i think it was the shield who retweeted their announcement tweet and said oh must be nice and i think that that's something that i'm really interested in and interested in hearing you guys talk about is the gendered kind of breakdown of mental health resources Certainly just, you know, in the past few weeks, Liz Cambage has been open and honest and saying, you know, her break, her short break was really good. And she said there was a lot going on with her both mentally and physically and the the ability to articulate that. Um, is I think really important. There's been no shortage of women athletes also talking about mental health concerns across a variety of sports. Um, and so I, I just for me remember I had a student who played basketball at Penn State who did her own podcast on mental health issues in sports and she interviewed male players as well as women on her team. And one of the things that was really interesting as she was doing this investigation is thinking about this stig- the the gendered stigmas that we have on seeking help and talking. And I think that this provides a really kind of fruitful at least foundation for this conversation. I would love to hear what you guys think about these expanded, you know, the announcement by the NBA, but then also perhaps we can think a little bit about women's league getting the same support and if not Um, perhaps why.
3: Yeah, thank you, Avira. I feel like it's just the constant discussion around women's sports, right? Girl and women's sports, they just have less resources for so many things. So of course it's going to show up in in this way as well. I do want to give a shout out to Royce White, who was a NBA player, back in 2012, 2013. And he was super open about the fact that he had general general anxiety disorder, which solidarity from me over here for that. And it really hurt him in a lot of ways. And he was ostracized, and but he pushed very hard just six, seven years ago for there to be policies like this and was really, really vocal about it. And so credit to him for pushing the league, the NBA in particular. I also wanted to mention that the NFL... Which I find a really interesting space for mental health is doing new stuff. There's a new agreement between the league and players that they have, that every team has to have behavioral health team clinicians and pain management specialists, which I think is a really interesting combo when you think about the NFL. Though I do, you know, one thing when we talk about gendered aspects of mental, mental health, especially around the NFL, which is hyper masculine is anyone going to ever admit that they're mentally weak? And how does that work actually within a space like that where any kind of weakness, I mean, the fact that they have a pain management specialist alongside behavioral health team clinician really shows you how much you're never allowed to be weak in any way. They all take a lot of painkillers to make sure that they can play so they're not physically hurt, but also like, can, like, what is it like to break that barrier in a space like that and actually ask for help and get it for for mental stuff, which has all of this other stigma around it? Bren?
4: Yeah, so interestingly, well, global soccer, I should say, is way, way behind this. (laughs) Way behind. So far behind that, in fact, the big news um, about a week ago was that Prince William was launching with the of England, the Football Association, a campaign called Heads Up, which is just making people aware that they should seek uh, mental health treatment. And hmm. um, what was really wow. interesting, yeah, and actually his larger initiative started in 2016. But the reason this made news is that the Heads Up, they're trying to like relaunch it because it was absolutely unsuccessful. So it it was really interesting because he presented, and I have all kinds of feelings about the monarchy, just by the way, gross, but whatever. So it's awkward, but like, right? Like, why is he even the only person? But hats off to him for being the only person. But at the World Economic Forum, he presented, and one of the things that was really, really striking and sad is that he couldn't get any celebrities on board. Like, the royal... Family couldn't like people are obsessed with like, you know, what kind of toilet paper they use. And he couldn't get anybody to sign on for it because of the stigma surrounding it. So I just thought that was really um poignant to to think about that he that Prince William just couldn't get anybody on board.
3: I don't know. Wow. That is a statement. Lindsay? Yeah. You know,
4: I've
1: heard that the WNBA players are this is something that is being brought up in the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. So that could be a little bit of why, you know, the WNBA wasn't included in this. Although it's just to me, another kind of frustrating example of how the women have to fight for everything. <laughs> and, you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me and all this is I was actually talking to former Georgetown basketball coach and current monumental basketball um, mind, John Thompson. And he was talking, I asked him about this new initiative. And he said, you know, this came from the players. This is because this is what the players, you know, wanted. They were using their voices and these men were really speaking up. And so I think that, you know, you've got to give kudos to all of the players who have been open. This is something that um, I wish leagues would provide and I wish that we could make progress without individuals having to step out and share, um, you know, things that can make them really vulnerable and things that are really hard to share. But the truth is that like these um, systems aren't aren't going to change because the people in charge are uh, kind <laughs> and uh, for thinking it's going to take. You know, it's a form of advocacy work that we've seen, you know, Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and these players uh, take on. And it is interesting this past week. So Liz Cambage was did not travel with the Las Vegas Aces to Dallas uh, last week when they were playing the Wings. And then she also set out another game against the um uh, it was a half a game uh, against the Washington Mystics, because the first half, there there had been an earthquake at halftime, naturally. Um, <laughs> duh. And then, so the whole half of the game just had to be made up a month later, which is just totally normal. And she wasn't like, that game was in Vegas, that second half, and she wasn't even with the team. She kind of essentially took a week away. And it hasn't been explicitly said, but it's been very much, it, it's definitely um you know it's been called for rest but it's not body rest it's been for her mental health and she's been so open about her mental health struggles in the past when i talked to her for the ringer profile i did on her last year you know she really opened up about depression and anxiety and and all of this stuff and for me there was something she's back with the team now um, you know, she's back fully in practice, but I was really proud of Bill Lambier, the coach of the Aces, for allowing her this time, for not making a huge deal about it. Of course, we don't know what went, what went on behind the scenes. Um, I was glad that she seemed comfortable to ask for it. and of course, she has more leverage, right? She's a superstar. So, you know, we know it's going to be a lot harder for the 12th woman on the team to, you know, ask for such accommodations. But you have to start somewhere, right? And I just thought it was it was really, to me, refreshing. And I thought really important to see that happen. And I hope – I know, like, right now, she's still kind of easing her way back. She's not giving one-on-one interviews right now. And I don't think, like, it's been explicitly addressed. But I have a feeling it will be in the future, knowing her and knowing Bill. And I just kind of want to give kudos to the to the Aces and, you know, Las Vegas for – Allowing what essentially looked like uh, allowing Liz Cambage a mental health break.
3: Yeah, that's amazing, and I totally feel what you're saying about how these players really take on the burden of talking publicly about things that are really difficult to talk publicly about. But I also feel thankful when they do it. As someone who struggles with <laughs> different mental health issues, I wanted to mention very quickly that Naomi Osaka uh, had an Instagram post somewhere in the last month where I don't know if she. I, you know, specifically mentioned mental health but just talked about her own, you know, struggles internally with loving the game and and the pressure of it all and and it reminded me of Nick Kurgios, who's an Australian tennis player who did an interview with the No Challenges Remaining podcast where he talked about the dark side of all of this and he wouldn't get into it but it was clear that like the mental health of of participating in the sport can be a lot and I just those moments mean a lot to me as a fan and as someone who gets it. And to see it reflected in people who are extremely successful is, is really something to me. Amira?
0: Yeah, much of this conversation to me links to efforts uh, being done in mental health communities to destigmatize mental health, particularly in Black communities. Um, and I think about, I mentioned just about mental toughness and masculinity. And I think a lot of this is also compounded by race and who is seen as mentally fit or what is seen as a weakness is really wrapped up in kind of perceptions of who needs help and how and why. And I think about that a lot. And then the other part of this that I think about is connecting it to our conversations about maternal resources for pregnant and parenting women athletes. And I think about postpartum depression and how important it is if leagues are going to have more robust maternity policies. And as we see more and more athletes make comebacks after giving birth, how important mental health resources at that league level become, especially when you're dealing with people with postpartum depression and, and dealing with those kind of compounded battles. And so I think that there's kind of wide reaching implications of, of these conversations. And I, for one, am, am really happy to see the NBA rollout because I'm hopeful. Thing that is just the beginning of uh, many kind of efforts um, that can that can borrow their playbook and perhaps expand upon it um, and get folks the resource that they need.
3: Yes, and this is obviously an important topic to us here at Burn It All Down. And so, if if you like this discussion, if you'd like to hear more about it, I definitely encourage you to go look in our archives because uh, we have covered this repeatedly on the show, and we will continue to talk about this. Up next, Lindsay's interview with former Notre Dame and WNBA star, Devereaux Peters. They talk about the launch of her new production company, More Than 94, and how to improve the media coverage of the WNBA.
1: All right. Hi. So this is Lindsay, and I am here today joined by former WNBA and Notre Dame star and current producer extraordinaire, Devereaux Peters. Hi, Dev. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for joining us. So let's get right into it. I've been following you on social media for some time, and you've been hinting at a production company doing something that's going to kind of change the way female athletes are covered. And I know that launched recently, you launched a YouTube channel, more than 94. So tell us about it. How did that get started? And what made you want to take this task on?
2: So it started about a year ago. Yes, it's been well. Actually, a little bit over a year now. But I had been wanting to do for a couple years something more than the video blog I was doing down and dirty. And I felt like it had run its course, and I was kind of getting bored with it. And I wanted to do something different. And so, initially, I thought of doing just some type of series on YouTube with players where you get to know them a little better. And then I started. That was the summer that I was not playing um, because I had surgery on my hips and. And so that summer I actually spent going to visit people and shooting stuff with them and then in the fall I wrote that Washington Post piece about men challenged me to one on one. And yeah, so after that like the response that I got from women was ridiculous. Like it was so many women that reached out to me in practically like any field that you could think of. And they were all like, hey, like we've had this similar experience and I'm an engineer and my boss does this and this and this. And like all these women coming to me saying like, yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. We've experienced that, too. And so the response was kind of overwhelming for me just because I was I felt like that was just me talking about my experience. And, you know, not everybody can identify with being a professional basketball player, (laughs) (laughs) but it was like that experience carried on through different fields. And so after that, and listening to all these women that were reaching out to me and speaking with them, I kind of realized that, you know, a lot of us are, are living the same lives and going through the same experiences and just in different areas. And so it was kind of like, man, like we have this connection, even if you're not a basketball fan, you know, I had a lot of people like reach out to me and follow me after that and want to see what I was doing, even after the fact. And it was all because like they related to my experience and it had nothing to do with basketball. And so I felt after that that, you know, we could really be making connections with people outside of just basketball fans that may follow a player because of something else that they're doing in their community or something else that they're interested in. And I felt like as a league, we haven't tapped into that at all. And we have like one of the most educated leagues you know, in the country, we have all these players who the WNBA is not their main source of income. So they have other businesses that they're involved with. They have foundations that they run. They're involved in all these community events and things, and you don't get to hear about any of those things. Meanwhile, on the other hand, you have the NBA who. Everything that they do on vacation, you know, when they go to the bathroom, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, you know, when they bought a new car, like, you know, everything. Way too much. (laughs) Exactly. And so I'm like, here we have this diverse group of women, amazing women that are doing all these things that we don't hear about. So I wanted to really tap into that and, and start to really grow our league by allowing players to tell their stories and allowing people to identify with them more and hear about them more and learn how interesting and amazing that they are. So that's how it started is that I just wanted to be able to connect us to people outside of the basketball realm. Wow. So
1: it launched last week, I believe, where you had a, a great conversation with your fellow Notre Dame comrade, Jewel Lloyd. And what's the plan going forward?
2: So I just launched my interview series, Checkup, which will be 12 episodes. It's going to be one player from each team. And so I'll be posting those once a week for the next couple months. And then after that, I actually just finished a mini documentary that I'm going to put out. I'm not going to give the details on that yet, but I'm very excited about it. (laughs) I'm very excited about that. That's kind of been my baby um, for the past year. We just finished post-production about uh, a couple weeks ago. So that's kind of what I want my bread and butter to be is kind of like mini documentaries, like six to eight minute mini documentaries on some things that uh, y'all will be hearing about later.
1: Awesome. Okay. All right. A little teaser. I guess we'll have to have you back when that launches. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we'll just... (laughs) Fine, fine, fine. Well, so from your time, how many years were you in the W? Was it five, six seasons? Uh, Six, I believe. Six. What did you notice about the media coverage? Because I know you've talked a lot about how there's, we all know there's not enough of it, and that it can be pretty shallow. During your time, did you notice any progression? Or was there any market you were in where you felt that the coverage was better than in other places? Mm -hmm. Or I I guess, what were your feelings about it overall?
2: Honestly, no. (laughs) I think across the board, it's just not very good from the top down. And I think this year with the rebrand, and they've done a little bit better, and they're starting to take steps in the right direction. And hopefully, they continue to do that because even with this little bump in marketing that they've put out there, you know, we've seen the numbers go up as far as viewership. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's a direct correlation there. I don't understand why it's so difficult <laughs> to put in the effort to do these things because this is not a shock. But I think that the teams do it the best they can. But overall, it's just it's just not there. And they don't have the support to even get some of the things that we should get done, you know, like as far as marketing they don't have enough support. And so I know it's difficult and it it puts a lot of pressure on each team individually, but as a whole, I think the league needs to do a lot better. I think it's just, honestly, I don't, I think it's just a lack of effort. I think that there's a lot of people in the, the, you know, like front office and everywhere else that's like understaffed, but there are a lot of people that are just not willing to take those steps to put in the work, to get things done as far as our marketing goes and, and even media
4: yeah,
1: I would completely agree, and it's one thing that we're always looking at, like with this next CBA, and I think you know Diana Taurasi kind of went off <laughs> in this great interview on ESPN W, where she said, you know, we talk about all these little things, but at the end of the day, they're just not putting money into it. You know, they're just not paying us enough, and then you know you're just not seeing enough of an investment, and it seems that sometimes I get afraid that the league has. Over identified itself with like this scrappy underdog mentality. And like that's where it feels safe, you know, is like just skating by. Um, Whereas to take the next steps and to really, you know, really take this to the next level where hopefully players can stay here year round, you know, where the marketing is where these people are household names, then I think it's going to take a lot, like a huge investment that I I get worried that they're not willing to even put in. Do you think that that's a fair assessment?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I just think that honestly, they're definitely not making the investment, but I don't think my theory is that we don't want, for whatever reason, we're the NBA subsidiary. Right. right? But we do everything as a means of the NBA, right. which is a problem. Yes. I think that we need to have our own identity. So, like, even when, you know, for example, if we're trying to get an endorsement with somebody, right, we don't have any endorsements on our yeah. own. Everything is through like the NBA, which is a problem. You have a league full of women who go out, players that go out and get an endorsements on their own. So it's possible. It's not like, it's like you've never seen it. And it's like, oh, you can't market, you know, with with these women um, because it's not been done. It's being done. Players are going out and getting endorsement deals from all types of companies, right? But as a league, we go out and you're like, oh, you're just trying to take the NBA scraps. I, I always bring up the point, like, how is that we're a women's league and we don't have a sponsorship with Tampax, right or any type of feminine products, like nail polish, hair products, all the stuff that women use consistently that market towards women specifically, why wouldn't we be trying to like go into those spaces? It doesn't really make a lot of sense (laughs) to me because you go in every single locker room and there's dove shampoo and there's, you know, like that we have to bring on every team that every team brings on road trips. Like, why are we not trying to market it to like brands that are specific towards women. And I, I just think that's effort. People just aren't putting in the time. And I'm like the same thing with the media. Like, I, I know that there are a ton of people that are just going out on their own, like you guys and all these different people, you know, in, in groups and in, in twi- on Twitter and everything that are just going out and getting these stories on their own and putting in the work. So it's possible. But I mean, uh, with media, it's even harder because yeah. it's expensive. If you want to put out and produce really good content, yeah. it costs money. And to try to do that on your own is tough. But the NBA has the money to put in towards this. <laughs> They're just not doing it. And yet we're a subsidiary, but they don't they treat us like a stepchild. <laughs> it's not. It's weird. I don't really understand why it works like that. And I don't solely put the blame on the WNBA because I just I know we're understaffed. We don't have the resources ourselves. And I also think the other issue is that a lot of people come through the WNBA looking to get to the NBA. So there's not a lot of people that are here to be here for us. They're here to use us as a stepping stone. And that's everywhere from like refs to. Front office people to like anywhere. And I think that's part of the problem of not wanting to put in effort because if this is not where you really want to be, why would you put any effort into it?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a brilliant point. And that's something I think about a lot as far as, you know, even down to like the players association, only having like three full-time people, you mm-hmm. know, or you look at um right. the all-star weekend, which was phenomenal. But, you know, I was talking to friends who go to the NBA all-star weekends, and the amount of events the NBA puts on, you know, during that week is just like, I mean, we're talking 10, 15 times more, you know, than the amount of investment they put into bringing the WNBA and women's basketball community and sponsorship community and social justice community and everything together during WNBA All-Star. So it just, and that's because of most of, there's no Company, there's no group dedicated to just doing that for the WNBA. They're all NBA afterthought people.
2: So, exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, look, let's, let's let's end on a positive note, although I feel like I'm just getting started talking to you. But uh, <laughs> this WPA season <laughs> has been really exciting. I know you were doing a regular co-host job over on our favorite uh, Around the Rim pas- basketball podcast with China Robinson over on ESPN. So right now, if you had to pick your two teams to be in the finals, who, who would you be going
2: with? Okay, so I'm going to be a little biased because I picked Vegas at the mm-hmm. b- beginning of the year, so I'm sticking I mean, with them. <laughs> I have to stick it, with them. <laughs> like, they're good. Yeah, I feel like right now, the way teams are playing, I'm going to say Vegas and D.C. because mm-hmm. I think in the long run, like come playoff time, D.C. is going to take off. And I like Connecticut, but they have yet to show that they are able to make it in the playoffs. So that's the only reason I'm not like completely willing to like go all in on them. And they had a really bad, what five game losing streak that they went through. So that concerns me a little bit. So I would say, Vegas and okay. D.C. You
1: know, that's that's who I picked at
2: the beginning of the season.
1: All right. Well, how can people continue to follow and support more than 94 productions? And also, where does the name come from?
2: So the name came from actually my brother came up with it. So I can't take the credit for that. The court is 94 feet. And so that's OK. Yep. So um, 94 <laughs> feet long. And so I'm more than 94 showing that the players are more than what you see on the basketball court. So luckily, my brother has a very creative mind and comes up with a lot of ideas for me. love that love when we can put the family members yeah that's all helps me out a lot um and so you can follow us on instagram at more than 94 underscore the number 94 um and then on youtube more than 94 it's youtube slash more than 94 i believe so yeah watch our stuff so we can get some more investors and put out more content Yes, that's always (laughs) what we want. We have to support women who are doing
1: the work, right? Exactly. Like all of us have to stick together. And those clicks and those follows and those shares, we know it here at Burn It All Down. They matter. They build up after time. Super important, (laughs) right? You know We have to all keep pushing each other, this independent meeting Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll have to have you back once that secretive docuseries.
3: Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, Deb. Thanks. Brenda, let's talk cheating. Where should we start?
4: (laughs) I guess I should start by saying this conversation is prompted by the death of Cuban-American Rosie Ruiz, who um, cheated. She's (laughs) famous for one thing. Yeah, I know. He did in the Boston Marathon in 1980 by entering the race about a mile from the finish line.
3: And (laughs) That's amazing.
4: It, it, well, right. And when you read deeply into it, there's lots of different. She's a serial cheater. She, she's been in many marathons. And you have to wonder, like, why, <laughs> like, at a certain point, because, like, it, people figured it out. It's not like she made some sort of lucrative. So it's sort of fascinating to me you know, that, that particular case of serial cheating. And, and I got thinking, you know, okay, so cheating is basically acting dishonestly or unfairly to gain an advantage. And it only happens when everyone knows and agrees on the rules, right? Otherwise, it's not cheating, it's something else. And as a professor, I think about cheating all the time, like weeks, dedicated to thinking about stopping cheating catching cheating what are the morals of cheating you know what what do we pretend that we're on the same playing field when we know that we're not and what does it mean if we know we're we're that part Mm -hmm. like and who gets away with cheating you know would anyone other than Tom Brady have gotten off like that Come on, he doesn't but, know the okay. weight of a football. Who gets caught? What the punishments are? We know they're situational. We know they're contextual every time, which is why it's so fascinating. So I just really want to talk quickly about what I think is the greatest cheat of all time, which is Diego Maradona's hand of God. And to tell you that I'm mixed. I have very mixed feelings about it because I do not like Diego Maradona because he is terrible, misogynist person. But 1986, Argentina coming out of a dictatorship lost a war to England, right? The Malvinas War, England had taken the Falkland Islands, which Argentina knows as the Malvinas, a century before, and then Margaret Thatcher and the dictatorship go to war over it. And in that context, the 1986 World Cup in Mexico saw England and Argentina paired of course, England, like fancy business owners, had brought football to Argentina. And um, it looks like Maradona heads the ball into the goal, but the English players could see from their vantage point that it's a handball, right? Fascinating. Like, you should watch it if you haven't watched it. Argentina go on to win 2 1 after Maradona scores a, a legitimate goal right? They ask Maradona. He says, of course, in the third person, because of course he can only talk to, about himself in the third person. He <laughs> says, it was partly the hand of Maradona and partly the hand of God. It's amazing. It, it's so amazing. And, and there's songs about it and Argentines have absolutely no problem with it. And that's why British journalists to this day cannot, get, cannot stop talking no matter how many British dudes cheat in the EPL, not stop talking about Argentines cheating, you know? And, and so it's, the whole thing's very fascinating. I just think it opens up a lot of stuff. Argentina needed a win. Like, nobody looks back on that except English people, which who cares, and says, man, I wish England would have won. Right? But it's still gross. Yeah. But it's still gross. So anyway. But it's still a, a cheat. place <laughs> to open up.
3: I'm going to go next. I... I'm fascinated by cheating. My co-hosts know that I'm always trying to get us to talk about doping because it touches on (laughs) so many of these exact things. Like I'm one of those people, when I look back at what Lance Armstrong did, I'm kind of like, well, everyone was doping, which is true because they like kicked out so many people if you look back on that period of time and cycling. But one of the things that I just find so interesting about cheating is the bravado or the bravada uh, behind it that people have, like, I just don't, I think I'm too much of a chicken and a rule follower. Like I'm I'm a really big, I really like cues. I like when people get in line. Like, I just don't think that I would be able to do it. And so I am fascinated when I read stories of cheating, especially in sports where there are rules and you break them. Um, and so I was looking because obviously I picked this topic as, as lead the, of this episode. And I was looking at just Stuff that people have done in sports. And I just find this like amazing what people are willing to try to do. And, and it was new. All of this was new to me, but like in 2000, the Spanish Paralympics basketball team, the inter- intellectually disabled basketball team, there's 12 players on the team. And it turned out that 10 of them didn't meet the standard. And so they, they won the gold medal, but then they had to give it back once a journalist exposed them. But like, who does that? Why would you do that for like a Paralympics basketball team? It just sort of like what's going on there? Um, there was this great story about uh, an English rugby team, the Harlequins in 2009, where a player was using blood capsules that he kept in his pocket. And at the end of the game, use them to look like he had been bleeding because in rugby, I guess you get to substitute out if, if you're bleeding. And so they wanted to bring on a specialist kicker onto the field. So this guy's like using blood capsules on the field so that he can be subbed out. And then there was this great one from the 1985 British Open, a player named David Robertson. Apparently he was racing ahead of the entire field to get to the green where he would pretend to mark his ball and then he would just literally move his ball to a different spot (laughs) so that he would have a better shot at at the putt like he was just like running ahead and like literally moving his ball um he got banned for a really long time from the sport but i just can't even imagine doing that um oh it would just like i wouldn't sleep for years (laughs) making making choices like that amira do you have thoughts on cheating
0: well, not really, because I actually don't really give a damn at um, all. It's just like no, like it's just not something that like um makes me feel any type of way. The even if it's like the, your team cheated against, like if- yeah, no, like I just I it has never made me feel ra- like rage. Right, like what makes me feel rage is actually a point that Brenda made about do we pretend that there's level playing fields in the first place, right? So, like, when you have a black baseball team that needs to – You know, that gets players that are just outside their district because districts have been gerrymandered because, you know, residential areas are segregated, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm talking specifically about Jackie Robinson West in Chicago, who had their titles uh, revoked because two players lived just outside the um, geographic borders of the team. That to me is annoying, right? That to me speaks to kind of systemic like what gets labeled cheating what doesn't right that to me is more of a concern but I just am like people are always like I like you know with doping I'm just like okay everybody was like I don't know it is nothing that has ever like captivated me in a way that like makes me irritated um I think my irritation is of course like obviously i root for a team that has been found in violation of the rules that has been you know targeted because of that but for me like it's the narrative that there's a there's a handy dandy little little website called yourteamcheats.com which i adore yeah and it's this one right now is currently just for the nfl but you would love it because it basically takes all 32 teams and breaks down the ways in which they've been found in violation of the rules. So you can see, if you want to know, yeah. the most cheating team in the NFL, according to this, is the Ooh. New York Jets with 51 violations. And, oh, no, no, I lied. The Denver Broncos have 53. There you go. If you want to know where the Patriots fall, they only have 27, just so you know. <laughs> but, seven. no, so I think that... I love not just throwing good. that in there for but no that, particular reason. <laughs> it's a handy-dandy little resource. It's just a little yeah. resource. Should you want, should you want it. But I do enjoy the kind of funny cheating. So, like, I was thinking about. Have you guys heard of the fifth down game? So this was a 1990 college football conference championship game between Mizzou and Colorado, and <laughs> um, basically. Colorado is is going down the field to try to score the go-ahead and game-winning touchdown, and they get stopped short on fourth down. But the officials had forgotten to change <laughs> the down marker. So the team rushes and just runs another play. They're just like, fuck the downs. We're just going to keep playing football. <laughs> and they score. <laughs> and win um and so there's like all this confusion and after they're like oh yeah you actually were stopped and shouldn't have gotten the ball back and whatever but it was too late they had already been celebrated (laughs) it was just over um so it's the kind of notorious fifth down game and that cracks me up because it just makes me laugh at thinking about if a team's just collectively like Oh well. <laughs> We're just gonna decide. We're just gonna <laughs> ignore that and keep going. Not their fault. <laughs> like Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly.
0: That's
3: awesome. I love it. Lindsay, your thoughts on cheating. Yeah, so I
1: I always think about this in the tennis context and in tennis, um, you know, there's no we're running, you know, there's nothing is quite as simple as, you know, where I'm coming in for the last mile of a marathon, <laughs> you know, or anything like that blatant. But what it usually comes down is these little moments of uh, usually it's called more sportsmanship, you know, violations than cheating. And, of course, one of the most famous, infamous incidents is Justine Ennon versus Serena Williams in the 2003 French Open semifinals. Um, the hand incident. Do you all know what I'm talking about?
3: yes a little bit tell okay. us so
1: serena at the time you know had already won a couple of majors justine Ennen, who was a belgian tennis player who was one of serena's few really true rivals while henen was playing they they were they split their they were 4 and 4 against each other in majors there was like a streak where enen beat a uh, Serena in like, you know, three straight major quarterfinals. But at this point, she hadn't won a major yet. Uh, Justine had not. So we're at the t- 2003 French Open semifinal. And um, France and Belgium are very close to one another. And so the crowd was very pro Justine. And we'll- Serena was serving at 4-2 in the third set. So it had been a really tight match, but Serena was in control. And at 15, she was up on serve, I think 15 love and went to serve again. But as she was going through the motion of her service motion, Justine, put up her hand on her side of the court as a way to like, try and like quiet the crowd. Cause the crowd was super boisterous. So, sh- so she was signaling to Serena, hold on for a second. I'm not ready to return yet. Like, you know, Give me a second, like, let's wait for the crowd. And so Serena sees this in the middle of her service motion. And it obviously, like, impacts the way she finishes. And, you know, it's a it's a fault. But obviously, she should be she should have been given a second first serve. But the umpire didn't see Justine make that hand motion. And Justine didn't own up to it on the court. (laughs) And Serena went on to lose that match. You know, she was, I mean, this, this was her up serving for two. She went up to, to on to lose that match. And honestly, this is one of those incidents that I think about with Serena every time she has these big meltdowns on court um, this is kind of one of the first times where I feel like you know she felt like everything was against her, you know, and that there was kind of these this conspiracy, this cheat and Justine, look in retirement, she's mentioned she said this was not a good moment for me, she's admitted to putting her hand up. I mean on the video you see her put her hand up, you know. So, you know, she said like this was not good, you know, for me and I mean it's it, it's weird cuz Serena was up a break and so in you know it was Serena still should have probably won that match and Serena will admit that herself. But I always think of those little moments. There was another that wasn't quite as big of a deal, but it was with Milos Raonic, a Canadian tennis player who like the ball definitely touched his racket, but he oh, didn't right. own up yes. to it and the umpire didn't see it. So it turned into this whole like, well, hypothetically, my, you know, that's what yes, happened. we talked
3: about this. Technically. Yes.
1: So, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think about it in a sport where, you know, a lot of these little things come down to sportsmanship because the umpire doesn't have, you know, ten set of eyes and you know why and when people violate that
3: yes you talked about round apology on our bad apology segment <laughs> i remember now hypothetically technically <sighs> yes i think part of it for me with the cheating is just the subjectivity of it right it really mm. brings forward how much of sport which we like to imagine is a very rigid rules-based thing can often be subjective and one of the things that we all love arguing about around it. Um, So I will continue to be fascinated by cheating. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. Brenda, what is on your burn pile?
4: What is on my burn pile is US soccer hiring the two lobbying firms (laughs) to (laughs) confirm. To convince, you know, lawmakers in D.C. who would potentially withhold federal funding from the 2026 World Cup if there's not equal pay. So this is about legislation that's been introduced about that. I was like, I'm so lost for words about how much this pisses me off and how bad that sucks. Because all of us who have daughters that are playing in club soccer are paying those lobbyists. ultimately our fees go to paying US Soccer Federation and lobbyists. You know, so I'm really, really mad about that. Like I'm trying not to use every swear word that I have right now. So it's that simple. It's it's US Soccer Federation versus equal pay. And how can you justify not using that money for something other than lobbyists? Money that our daughters Like we pay, you know, and sons and and whatever. I'm particularly mad about the daughter question just because of obviously the equal pay. So I don't know. I don't know how to be articulated about it, except that it makes me want to break everything. So I want to I want to burn U.S. Soccer Federation spending money on lobbyists to oppose equal pay.
3: Burn. 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 (laughs) Amira, what do you want to torch? Yeah, I
0: want to touch uh torch uh stupid responses to activist athletes of which we have two entries this week. First, I want to give a shout out to Dolphins wide receiver Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills um if you remember was a committed and consistent protester along with solidarity with Colin Kaepernick. So this past week he called out the uh his team owner Stephen Ross who um is throwing yet yeah, another fundraiser for um, Donald Trump and he posted a picture of one of Ross's uh, nonprofits that claims to quote uh, educate and empower the sports community to eliminate racial discrimination champion social justice and improve race relations and Kenny very aptly said emoji face questioning face emoji picture that um, and said you can't have a nonprofit with this mission statement then open your doors to Trump which is like just basically a fact and this set on a series of kind of back and forth some people boycotting Ross's uh companies the other kind of ventures so SoulCycle Equinox kind of fitness areas that's a whole kind of different conversation but Kenny Stills um, has been really great to continue to articulate this and of course that led to Stephen Ross issuing a weak ass statement that said, blah, 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 I've always been an active participant in the democratic process. While some prefer to sit outside of the process and criticize, I prefer to directly engage and support things I deeply care about. And then he justified his 40-year friendship with Donald Trump. He says that he, quote, unquote, strongly disagrees on things, yada, 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 yada. <laughs> and, you know, Kenny just responded and said, yeah, I don't think you can play both sides, but like, whatever. And then Brian Flores, in his first year as head coach, was already showing that he knows he's took a page out of Bill Belichick's book and is basically just telling Kenny to keep his mouth shut and like no distractions. And I think you could go to the owner directly. And so it's just dumb. Like the both the responses are dumb. Stephen Ross, ridiculous. All your statement done would make was make clear that you care more about your tax breaks than the havoc that this administration is wrecking. And it's not the only ridiculous, uh, response to athletic activism this week. At the Pan American Games, Gwen Berry, as well as, who, who's a hammer thrower, as well as a gold medal winning fencer, Race Imboden, both did their own forms of protest at the medal ceremony. Berry raised her fist while Race took a knee on the podium. In response, the cowardly, um, Olympic and Paralympic committee made a statement saying, oh, we're sorry that he took this uh, time to distract and insert politics. All athletes signed a statement saying that they would refrain from quote demonstrations that are political in nature. He didn't adhere to this commitment and he will be punished. And this includes putting his appearance at the 2020 Olympics in jeopardy. Um, To his credit, he said, look, I chose to sacrifice my moment at the top of the podium to call your attention to issues I believe that need to be addressed. Um, My pride is being cut short by multiple shortcomings of the country I hold so dear to my heart. Racism, gun control, mistreatment of immigrants, and president who spreads hate are at the top of a long list. I just want to burn down both responses and the facade that keeps going that somehow sports are inherently apolitical and especially the Pan Am games like Brenda I can't can you even believe somebody formulated a sentence that said you're keeping politics out of the Pan Am (laughs) games the whole damn games are politics (laughs) anyways it's dumb it's a long line it's falling a long line of dumbness uh, in response (laughs) to activist athletes so shout out to those protesting burn everybody burn (laughs) Lindsay what are you
1: burning uh, so, you know, the NCAA, racism, <laughs> just the usual. Uh, so a year ago about the NCAA did something that kind of made sense when uh, it said that if, you know, players want to declare, want to test out the waters of the NBA draft, maybe meet with an agent and work out for some teams and see what their draft stock is. These are for uh, men's basketball players. Then... As long as they met with certified agents, they would be allowed to return to school if they decided not to enter the NBA draft, which is smart. That sounds like it makes perfect sense. But of course, anything that the NCAA does that makes sense must soon be ruined by the NCAA itself. So the NCAA this week released a bunch of rules about those agents and certifications um, and requirements for said agents. And one of them is that the agent must have a bachelor's degree. Huh? (laughs) So first of all, this is a bit self-serving the NCAA trying to once again, tell everyone that the only thing that matters is the education of everything, you know, it's like its own reinforcing its own propaganda. But really what this is about, and it's very transparent is it is a target towards Rich Paul, who is LeBron James's agent, and also the agent of Anthony Davis, he has clutch sports. Um, He is kind of running the NBA as an agent right now. And he is a young black man who does not have a bachelor's degree. And most agents are lily white. (laughs) So he is really upending the system. And immediately after this came out, LeBron James and Tristan Thompson and a lot of the uh, NBA players started calling this the Rich Paul rule. Um, that it seemed like a very transparent way for the NCAA to try and get back control, particularly since Rich Paul's One of his newer clients is a player who decided to skip the NCAA altogether and instead is getting a year long internship with New Balance for $1 million and then going into the NBA. So, Rich Paul is someone who's not playing by the NCAA's rules. And, you know, I wrote for Think Progress this week that this is rooted in racism. And we know that because everything the NCAA does is rooted in racism. Like, that's not a reach. So yeah, I just would like to burn this ridiculousness. I'd like to burn the NCAA saying that they're doing this to protect the athletes when it's very clear that they are doing this to try and protect their own power. Burn.
3: Burn. Burn. All right. So... The Naval Academy's football coaches for the past several years have allowed the team captains to choose a motto, Then that's supposed to set the tone for the upcoming football season. This year, the captains chose load the clip. They say because it represents a consistent daily work ethic, but it's obviously referencing putting bullets into a clip before you shoot off your gun. Navy dropped the motto this week after their local paper, the Capital Gazette, asked about it. In case you don't remember, the l- last year, a gunman opened fire in the Capital Gazette's newsroom, murdering five of the paper's staff. The stadium that Navy uses for football games is less than three miles from the Capital Gazette newsroom. And, of course, the decision comes after 2 mass. masks—the decision to— Get rid of the motto, comes after two mass shootings last weekend in the US. One, a racist attack in El Paso by a young white man who drove 10 hours to target the Latinx community, specifically in that border town. And another in Dayton, Ohio, perpetrated by a young white man who kept lists of women he wanted to violently harm. In total, 29 people were killed in the two massacres. Where are the adults when this shit happens? Is what I always think. Honestly, I I don't get how this was approved and actually adopted especially that close to a place where a mass shooting happened just last year. Except then I read the apology by Navy's head coach, where he said, quote, We sincerely apologize if it upset anyone. We understand that it probably wasn't appropriate considering the current climate and certain things that are happening in our society. Couldn't name the things? Said if it upset anyone? Probably wasn't appropriate? Okay, sure. Uh, It actually reminded me of how Vanderbilt... Vanderbilt's football program had to change their slogan back in 2015. They chose somehow, quote, we don't need your permission. This was in the middle of an (laughs) ongoing gang rape case involving four Vanderbilt football players when two, uh, two had actually already been convicted at that point. The team had to then tweet out an apology saying, quote, we apologize for today's tweet. It's not a comment about sexual assault. Sex without permission is always wrong and not accepted. It is amazing to me how many resources go into these teams, how much money they spend on branding, how many people work in these programs, and still this shit happened. It's like college football is just constantly finding ways to remind me of why I think it is so bad. Uh, so this week, I just want to burn the fact that that motto was ever chosen at all by Navy fo- Navy's football program. So Burn. Burn. After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our badass Woman of the Week segment. First up, our honorable mentions. We are holding Orlando Pride defender Tony Presley in our thoughts, as Presley has been diagnosed with breast cancer and is undergoing treatment. We wish her all the best in her healing. Teenager tennis phenoms Coco Gauff and Katie McNally, or Mick Coco, according to our own Lindsay Gibbs and her weekly The Nine Tennis Tuesday newsletter, Mikoko won the doubles title at the City Open in Washington, D.C. Jessica Pagula won the women's single title at the City Open, defeating Camila Georgie 6-2, 6-2 in the final. It's Pagula's first-ever WTA singles title, and there are adorable pictures and videos of her holding both the trophy and her dog. Zhang Saisai also won her first-ever WTA title at San Jose after defeating Arena Sabalenka 6-3, 7-6. Congratulations to all the girls who participated in the annual Baseball for All Championships in Rockford, Illinois. This year, there were over 350 girls, more than 100 coaches, and 15 female umpires at the tournament. Simone Biles, the gymnastics superstar who at this week's U.S. Championships became the first woman to perform a triple-double, which is two flips with three twists, in the floor exercise of a competition. And then she became the first gymnast to attempt and land a double-twisting, double-somersault dismount from the balance beam. 24-year-old German medical student and cancer researcher Fiona Kolbinger, who won the 2,500-mile transcontinental race, which passed through seven European countries, She's the first woman to win this ultra-cycling marathon. She beat 225 men and 39 women. The second-place writer, Ben Davies of the UK, came in nearly 11 hours behind her. We also want to offer a hearty congratulations to Burn It All Down guest, Mina Kimes. Kimes, whose day job is talking on writing for and podcasting for ESPN, is now the color commentator for the Los Angeles Rams during the preseason. We are always happy to hear a woman in the booth. Gwen Berry who Amira just mentioned in her burn pile. She's a black U.S. athlete who won the gold in the hammer throw at the Pan Am Games. Barry raised her fist while on the podium as the end of the U.S. national anthem played. Afterwards, Barry said, quote, Somebody has to talk about the things that are too uncomfortable to talk about. Somebody has to stand for all the injustices that are going on in America and a president who's making it worse. It's too important to not say something. Can I get a drum roll, please? All right. Our badass woman of the week is 20-year-old golfer, Hinako Shibuno, who won the AIG Women's British Open at Woburn last weekend. It was both her first major tournament and her first event outside of Japan. She had five birdies on the back nine that gave her the one-shot advantage that clinched the title. According to CNN, reporters asked Shibuno how she will celebrate, and she responded, quote, eat a lot of sweets. Congratulations. Okay, what is good with y'all, Brenda? What's good with you? Okay, um,
4: well, a deer family has moved into my backyard—a mom and two baby deer, like even with the white spots—and I see them twice a day now. I'm really—they're so cute, like so, so, so cute. I mean. Anyway, I don't know. I was excited about that. Usually, I, I don't, you know, I'm not head over heels. Like, I'm not the most burning all down animal lover, but because that's a hard fight to win. But I do love a baby deer. Okay. Other things I bought a fiction book that has nothing to do with work, which is called Never, Never Let Me Go
3: by oh. Ishiguro. Oh. Have you read it? Yes. I love, love it. Okay. I, okay, so I still, cried I started, hard. So good luck.
4: Uh, oh, okay. well, <laughs> but I still like uh, I feel
3: emotional. You just mentioning it by Oh,
4: I love it. Okay. Okay. I'm really excited. That makes me even more excited. But I love the first 10 pages. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. And then I also started writing a new book that I'm writing for University of North Carolina. And I wrote like, 500 words so that was something so it's uh, there for you ago. yes
3: for yes. You. yes yes writing victory yeah, a very small victory but i'll take it you should amira what's good with you uh, vacation <laughs> where are you going two days
0: uh we're oh. going to disney we go every we usually go every year every other year so this is an every other year type of trip we're driving down so we have you know 16 hours on the road to get some real quality <laughs> family time but my kids are good travelers so we'll have a good time so we're leaving on tuesday so i'll be out for the next two weeks i'm really excited because a they added alcohol to the disney dining <laughs> plans. <laughs> i will be lit oh my they didn't yes. have any alcohol before well, it wasn't included, so you would have to buy it, and I oh, okay. don't have to buy it. So I will be drinking it and feeling happy about that. So there's that. Also, while we're down there, me and Michael will be celebrating our ninth oh, wedding anniversary. Thank you. And then also, more importantly, we'll be celebrating Zachary's third birthday, which I cannot believe is a thing. And my baby's not a baby anymore. And so happy birthday, Zachary. I love your side eyes and your determination, your occasional appearances on the podcast that you forced yourself <laughs> on. The only um, one <laughs> and, like, <laughs> Yeah. He um also. He just like beats up his siblings, which is funny. Like if you're gonna be a third kid, be a be a Zachary type <laughs> of third kid. <laughs> so yeah that's does he do the Christina
1: Nguye and run after he beats them up or no, he has, does he, he stand he his doesn't ground. run
0: from anything he'll just stare you down okay. <laughs> it's quite scary actually <laughs> as Michael said he's either gonna be like president of the world or like the most evil mastermind <laughs> because it same, could go either maybe. way but the kid is so determined
3: <laughs> love it well we will miss you but I hope you have a nice vacation uh, Lindsay what's Thank good with you, you.
1: Yeah, I like to say what's good with me is always seeing Zachary, Amira post photos of Zachary like at these events or like school things or dress up things, and he never looks happy <laughs> about he's it. Like, he's, all, <laughs> he's always giving like <laughs> this death stare. <laughs> and every time she posts pictures, I just start like crying, laughing. He just, he has a really great, like, what, how, why face like just <laughs> why kind of like, are you doing this to me <laughs> yeah like he, he there's no poker face on that kid so um uh, <laughs> uh, yeah so i am uh, i think anyone who who knows me and has followed me in any capacity knows it's kind of been a really rough summer for me um and you know um, been tr- trying to be as open about things as i can but i just like to say that I'm having another weekend here where I'm super grateful for friends and for support system and for... Asking for help because I've been doing that a little bit more lately and that has felt good and it's honestly, I thought it would make me feel weaker, but it's made me feel more powerful. So I think that just want to share that with others and on a less serious note, uh, you know, when I am feeling a little overwhelmed with life, one of the ways I like to retreat is through reality television. So I would like to give a shout out to, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, But 90 Day Fiance, which is just the best trash reality TV I've ever seen. And also Bachelor in Paradise. So those are two things that are just really helping me, you know, get through the days right now. So thank you, reality television.
3: We love you, Lens. So it's (laughs) weird to start out what's good with what's not good, but... It was a very hard last couple of weeks for me. On Monday, my 12-year-old dog, Bailey, who you've heard on this podcast because she was quite the barker, she died. She had been sick for a while. It was a slow decline over a few months. And then all of a sudden, it was a very fast one over the last weekend. She was a good girl. And we miss her a lot. It's a lot quieter around here. And she was my first dog. So I'm getting used to the loss of the routine that we've had for the last... 11 plus years and that's been a lot but one good thing this week I just he doesn't even listen to the podcast but like I just want to give a shout out to Aaron he's an amazing partner I will make him listen to at least this part of the podcast so he'll be embarrassed just alone in our kitchen together but he was so great through all of that we deal with emotions very differently but um he never makes me feel like my my lots of emotions are too much when he's a very low emotion kind of person. And I was just really grateful that I <laughs> had someone with me when I went through all of that for the first time in my life. We also have an old cat, and I've made her promise. She's 17, and I made her promise to give us at least a good six months here before we have to do that again. But the other thing that was really good, I do want to mention this week, and I was really thankful to have this after what happened on Monday, was that. The season one of Dead to Me, which is a show on Netflix, I highly recommend it. It stars Christina Applegate. She's a widow trying to deal with the, um, like sudden death of her husband. He's hit by a car on a road late at night and, and he dies and she has two kids and she goes to this support meeting for people dealing with grief and she meets a woman there who's played by Linda Cardellini. They become friends. It is so funny the show is so funny. I mean, it's morbid. Like at one point I was laughing at something and I felt bad almost that I was laughing at it, but I know it was a joke, but it was about death, but it's so good. Christina Applegate should win like every award that it's possible for her to win. Like she is, it is like, oh my gosh i just there's so many things i want to say about it i just will say very specifically that i have laughed about punching a cake for like a week now so i just really (laughs) really recommend this and i kind of wanted to go buy a cake and punch it so dead to me was what was really good for me this week on what was a very hard week that's it for this week's episode thank you all for joining us You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We love hearing from you all. If you enjoyed this week's show, do me a favor. Share with two people in your life whom you think would be interested in Burn It All Down. Also, please rate the show at whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burn it all down. That's patreo dot com slash burn it all down. We hope to see all of our Nashville and Nashville adjacent flamethrowers on September 9th at 10 AM at the music city center for the next live taping of burn it all down. That's it from us. Burn on, not out until next week.